Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. Welcome. It feels like we haven't been here in a while, but it really has just been a week. But did it feel like a long time to you? Yes, it's... Yeah, and this is weird because I got ahead in my reading, so I haven't, like, read for the podcast in a while. Mm. And also, it's the end of a semester drawing nigh, and it's just... Things are crazy. Yeah, as we pulled up, I was just like, it feels like we haven't been here in a while, but we were here last week. It's also light outside now. Yes. At 6 o'clock, so... Because as of today, it is May. It's gonna be May. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it will be when, when this When airs. this drops, it will be May. So, yes. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. You're welcome for that, Justin Timberlake. Woo-woo! Um, we also have a winner... Winner, winner! ...of our <laughs> uh, book giveaway of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Thank you for everyone who left us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Even though we're, the giveaway's ending, you can still go do that oh, for if you sure. feel like it. Um, but we drew our winner, mm-hmm. and our winner is Natalie Matus, who is one of the my friends from... My old life. I was going to say from high school, but I met her in kindergarten. Like, oh, wow. Really? I went oh. to school with Natalie from kindergarten until 12th grade. Oh, that's cool. So I think it's really fun that she listens to our podcast, and she left a really funny it review. It was really fun. When you shared it on Instagram, Brandon was like, who is this person? This is lovely. That's Natalie. <laughs> yeah. So um, we'll be posting that on Instagram, too, and we'll, we'll yes. reach out. And... Thank you to everybody who reviewed. Um, listeners have been going up. Yeah. So we'll be watching through May, um, but just keep, you know, keep giving us shout outs and telling your friends so we can have more listeners. And whatever we did this month seems to be working. So maybe yeah. we'll do more of it, you know? For sure. What would you like to win in a giveaway? Tell me what you'd like to win and maybe we'll... Socks. Socks? <laughs> I love... I love getting socks for, like, I never buy myself fun socks. I buy myself practical socks. I mean, I'm sure we can find ourselves so, some cute book quippy socks. I know. Yeah, there are bookish socks out there. I'm going to um, look for a pair of bookish socks and maybe we can give those away. Yeah, my sister got me some Frida Kahlo socks a while back and they've got a hole in them. So I got to I gotta do something now. Uh, anyway, but speaking of <laughs> <laughs> not socks, um, some of our other podcast friends that we've made, I just want to give a couple shout outs um, to the Moody Reader podcast. Um, Ash, she's a really cool, really cool gal. It's just her um, talking about some of the books she read, um, but it's really entertaining. And she, like us, has read a lot of Brandon Sanderson. Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> so I really enjoyed listening to her take on Oathbringer. Um that was a lot of fun. Maybe um, my husband will start listening to that one. Yeah, he it was, loves it was a lot Sanderson. of fun. And then also that pretentious book club, a couple gals like ourselves. Um, they cover a they cover a book a week like we do. Um, but I think theirs is every two weeks, and they do a good mix of classics and contemporary, yeah. like everything from Jane Austen to Stephanie Meyer. Um, I looked through their list, and they ha- I don't think they've done any of the same books we have, but Ooh. they did cover If We Were Villains. Okay. By ML Rio, which we both love. Um, so they're a lot of fun, too. So give give those two podcasts a listen if you're looking for something else to listen to that's bookish. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I have a very important question for you. Yes. What's the strangest thing you've ever seen someone do in public? I mean, I'm thinking of just peeing, but I guess that's not really strange. Like, it's a bodily function. <laughs> I have seen people pee in public near subways um, multiple times. Nothing else is coming to my head. Oh, man. I hate... I, I'm i always nervous to ask you something unprepared because then you might not yeah. have an answer ready. Like, I, You've traveled the globe, though. Surely you've seen something Well, weird. okay, this was strange. So you know how there's always, like, buskers on subways and in and, and train cars when you're traveling, you know, either in New York or throughout Europe? And so I got used to that, like, different instruments, people singing. We saw one guy give a speech once, and it was all in French, and so I didn't know what he was saying, but he just, like, gave a speech, and (laughs) people gave him money. Um, But the oddest thing once that I saw 
on a subway car in Paris was a puppet show. <laughs> like these two guys had this little this piece of like cloth that had velcro on it so they could easily velcro it around two of the poles on the subway car that you you know yeah. used to stand up and then they just got behind that piece of fabric and had their little puppet show. How how do you get there in I your life when know. you're like you know what we should do friend? I, don't know. I mean we started a podcast and we were like that's going out on a limb. What if we were like we should take this on the road. <laughs> and we should do a puppet show and just on public transport. Regale people while they're trying to get like from work to home. Or... You know how many adults think at the end of the day, you know what I didn't do? See a puppet show. I, I miss that from my childhood. Everyone's nostalgic for a good puppet show. Yeah. And here these men are providing yeah. us with that. That was yeah. Also on a train in Germany, I some guys brought on like a mini keg. It was during Oktoberfest. Oh, I was also in Germany in Oktoberfest. That was that was, that was a lot. And then a group of, like, middle-aged women dressed like what looked to be uh, very bedraggled Quidditch players, perhaps, <laughs> got on the, the train car and teased the hair of two of our our student companions, a boy and a girl, because their hair was all crazy. So then yeah. our friends asked them, hey, can you do our hair? And they did. And we have pictures. That's awesome. Um, now I'm thinking of a lot of things, because also the way they do bachelorette parties in Europe, at least at one time when I went as a student, was... You would just see these groups of women or men, bachelor or bachelorette parties, like running around town in costumes. Oh, yeah. Like, and they would have, they would do these like photo scavenger hunts where they would have to get certain pictures of yeah. people. And so this, like my sister has a picture of a guy dressed like Luigi from Mario <laughs> Brothers. And then this one woman ran up to our friend Justin and kept shouting something in French and he didn't understand until she finally said, ah, your hair, your hair, because he was a redhead <laughs> yeah. and she needed a picture of a redhead. Um. Okay, so yeah, I we made the mistake of taking a night bus oh, um, from Germany during Oktoberfest. The bathrooms on that night bus were very, very bad. There was oh. lots of vomit. Oh, oh. <laughs> the hallways were oh. just full of puke no. because everyone from Oktoberfest got on this train. It was either a night train or a night bus. I think it was a train. But yeah, just the hallways were just full of puke. Oh, that's so... Yeah, we were on the train during the day, so it was like beginning of the party. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be on... Everyone, like, got in their last oh. beer, oh, got no. on the train, and we were just like, ooh, it smells like body those, fluids. Those poor train workers. Like, I know. Ah, that's the worst. And I, like, I didn't even know what was going on, so I hadn't thought about it, but I was like, we really picked the wrong time to Yeah, those to are things... As Americans abroad, sometimes you don't think about. No. Like when I was in Barcelona, I didn't think to check the soccer schedule or the football <laughs> schedule. Football. The fact that there was a big match that night, it was not easy to travel those subways. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway. Well, now that we've talked about, about Europe, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about America. Okay, and the Dust Bowl. <laughs> the Dust Bowl. So our book this week is The Four Winds by Kristen Hanna, and I have a little summary for us. The Four Winds takes place in Lonesome Tree, Texas in the 1930s and tells the story of a woman called Elsa. Elsa's in her mid-twenties living with her emotionally abusive parents who are determined to make Elsa believe that she is worthless, ugly, weak, and unmarriageable. When Elsa rebels against her parents, leaves the house, has one incredibly short-lived sexual experience that lands her in the family way... Elsa ends up disowned by her parents and shoved into a hasty marriage to Rafe Martinelli, the handsome son of Italian immigrant farmers. When the Dust Bowl hits, the Martinelli family faces financial ruin, severe illness, and worse. After years of attempting to the, tame the land she loves and foster the family she has always wanted, Elsa makes the difficult choice to flee with her sick son and hateful daughter. They head west to California, the promised land of work, food, and relief from the never-ending dust. They arrive to find out that while the grass may be greener, the world is just as unkind in California, only in different ways. The small family ends up living in a migrant camp, doing backbreaking labor for mere sense, and fighting to survive in a new inhospitable set of circumstances. Elsa is reborn as bold, brave, worthy of love, and willing to stand up for what she knows she and others like her deserve. Okay. I know that some people think this book is boring. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I was going to say maybe you found it boring, but you seem confused by that. No. Um, and it has, it makes you feel feelings, which I know you don't care for. Correct. Um, and I, 
I'm just worried you wouldn't be interested in the content. I think three. I'm going to go three. Okay. Um, I really had, I struggled with what to rate this book, even after I finished it. Yeah. I, I told Brandon, I was really going back and forth. How many stars do I give this? Because this is one of those books that I think it, I, I did not find it boring. And I think it is very well written. Um, and I like a character driven plot. I liked some of these characters. Mm hmm. But yeah, I, here, let me see what I wrote down. Feelings. They're hard. Okay. <laughs> Feelings. I wrote down, how do I rate a book that was pretty well written, good character and plot development, but that I hated because it was so punishingly depressing and made, <laughs> made me want to cry? <laughs> so I just landed yeah. on a what I am calling a generous three stars. A generous three stars. Uh, because it was not... If this is your thing, if you want to read a book about the Dust Bowl and a woman trying to overcome bad circumstances over and over and over again, you could read this book. <laughs> you might have a good time. <laughs> so, like, if you were just rating the writing or just rating, like, the craft, it would be higher. But, like, did yeah. I personally enjoy it? No. No. That, yeah, pretty much. There, okay. there are a couple of things that I was like, this doesn't check out then, you know, I'll bring those up. But overall, it was not a bad read. But I'm not going to say it was enjoyable <laughs> no, for me. No. Uh, I, I like a good feeling, and uh, yeah. Hannah's not a fan of that. In this book, if you don't feel something, you may or may not oh, yeah. be broken. Yeah, and it, I definitely, like, teared up. <laughs> and I was like, I don't like... So I, <laughs> I have to tell you this story, because this reading this book was like... An experience I had watching a movie. This was way back, I believe I was in high school. I was with Brandon. Um, I don't even think we were engaged yet. It was pretty new. And he's like, oh, Hannah, my love, I want to share this movie with you. And I'm <laughs> like, we're newly dating. I want to like the things you like. And it was City of Angels with Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan. Do you know this movie? Um, I know of it. It's awful. <laughs> it's, he's an angel, and she is a human, and he falls in love with her. But to mm -hmm. be together, he has to become, like, a fallen angel. And it's, this is a very heavy decision to make, of course. Sure. But he makes it, and then she promptly dies. <laughs> and I, what, I remember, I don't think Brandon remembers this at all. I brought this up to him, he's like, I don't remember this. But we were at my house, he made me watch this movie, and I, couldn't contain my tears and this was like we we're still pretty new and I like went to the bathroom and hid and was so mad at him and I told him through the door I'm like why did you make me watch this I can see all of this happening in my mind uh, because you get so angry if you have to have a feeling and especially if you're having those feelings in front of people you're not feeling comfortable right. with which you wouldn't be at the very beginning no, of a I've dating relationship. I've obviously cried a lot in front of him at this point. But yeah, but at the very, very beginning, was... you'd just be like, how dare you and do this? And he presented it as like, oh, here's a fun movie we can watch. <laughs> I'm like, no, no. He obviously also did not know you very well. Not, you not didn't yet. know him very well, and he also did not know you so, very well. reading this book felt like that. <laughs> because... Your summary was very good, but when you say that she overcame and was reborn, it's like, it was like that movie. It's like, yeah, she was reborn for a second, <laughs> and then she dies. Yeah. So cool. Um, yeah, it ends really happy for 35 seconds, and then she gets shot. Literally just about 35 seconds. I found somebody who finally loves me for who I am. I'm finally opening up to my daughter, and now I will promptly die. <laughs> And um, so it was punishing in that way. And I was trying to really think about, because I do like some sad books. I mean, one of my favorite books is Les Miserables. Like, yeah, it's, it's literally about misery. The, the miserables. <laughs> but I think what this book did that I don't like is it is just is so punishing. It's mm -hmm. like, it felt like it never let up. Like, yeah. it has to have some hills and valleys. And to me, it was just... It was one thing after another for this poor woman. Oh, it was. And the fact that... Uh, Kristen Hannah made me care about her oh, from yeah. the beginning. And so to just go through that with her and then to feel like I had no, like, reprieve and then no reward at the end. I'm not going to say there was no redemption because she did find a voice, but that voice also got her killed. So mm -hmm. I just was really sad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Yep, I kind of thought that's why you <laughs> yeah. hate it is because you'd be sad. Yeah, so I guess I, I did a thing I've tried to do before where I took some notes while I was reading, mm -hmm. and then I kind of gathered my thoughts afterward. So I started listening to it in the car, and then I ended up finishing it on paper. So I kind of did a hybrid approach to this one. The audiobook's pretty good. It started out strong for me. Like, I was interested, I was engaged, um, and I immediately liked Elsa. Good. The main character, who whose eyes you're seeing most of the story through. Um, she seemed smart, but small in her world, and so she was somebody I wanted to root for. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that at the very beginning of the book, she's reading The Age of Innocence by Edith Wharton, <laughs> and that's what makes her like want to do something bold. I, my, yeah. My English major heart. I was like, oh, that's so Yeah, cool. she's like living vicariously through books at the beginning. Yeah. I'm like... I mean, for a book podcast, what better main character? Yeah, I was like, oh, that's so sweet. That's fun. Um, but then it just got less great after that. Like, I, I'm like, okay, I like this character, and now nothing good will ever happen to her. Um, <laughs> she, uh, so you mentioned her very, what did you call it, a brief? Very brief sexual <laughs> encounter. Yeah, she, she decides I'm going to do something bold. I'm going to go out in this red dress that I made myself, and her parents are like, you hussy. <laughs> And then she goes out and promptly has sex with a random man, which was weird because, well, one, that's just weird. And then also it was like proving her parents right, which I felt strange about. They were like, don't leave the house in that dress or you'll be defiled. And that is just, that's what happened. It made perfect sense to me because she was so deprived of love and attention at home. Right. Like her home life, she was just very, very much told that she was unlovable. Yes. And a very handsome man sees her in this dress. I mean, she gets out of her backyard and essentially someone's like, I could love you. And she's like, see, this is why you leave the house in a yes. red dress. So yeah, yeah um, she... And I just he, didn't like that it proved her parents right. Right. That, and he asks... Can I make love to you? Yes. And then... I thought the language was very intentional. Four seconds later. <laughs> yeah. It was nice that, like, consent was given. Consent yeah. was asked for and given. And he used the word love specifically. I think he said, like, can I love you? Mm -hmm. I don't even think he said make love, which yeah. for her, that was obviously a big deal. She was like, yes, please, you may. <laughs> and Yeah, but it was not anything earth-shattering. <laughs> She's like, is that... The whole thing? Is yeah, that I, I, li I was listening to the book at this point, <laughs> but I was, like, wondering to myself, how much of a page did this encounter take up? Like, <laughs> half? Quarter? I'm not sure. <laughs> it was not more than a page. It was a few sentences worth of a sexual yeah. encounter. But they do meet up again. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not, it wasn't just a one-time deal, and then she was pregnant. They, like, plan to meet up a few more times, <clears throat> because they do enjoy each other's company, apparently, and whatever. They, I think... And I think he loved her in his own way, but their their relationship was so sad to me. It, after they got married, it's very, very sad. It's sad because I think he did have feelings for her, but she was they didn't communicate. Mm -hmm. They didn't. They she didn't know how to communicate because she had grown up in this very stifled, unloving, you know, situation. So she didn't know how to communicate her love or to ask for what she wanted for love in return and he didn't know how to handle her they obviously didn't know each other that well before they got shotgun married um so that was sad i was i had i was kind of hoping that like that would go somewhere and it doesn't <laughs> if you're wondering if something nice will happen to elsa it won't <laughs> um that I wrote down in my notes that they're coupling that very brief. <laughs> it reminded me of that episode of Friends with Monica and the high school boy. <laughs> yeah. Because he was like, wow, that was great. And she's like, okay. <laughs> I'm glad that you think that. <laughs> yeah. He was obviously very inexperienced as well. Um, yeah, I just, I wrote down, I immediately knew she would get pregnant. She did. And it just got sadder from there. <laughs> her parents, awful. Because um, her dad just like finds out. And within, like, hours. Oh, yeah. She's out of the house in hours. They just take her and dump her and, like, I never want to see you again. Mm -hmm. And they don't. Um, the end. So that never resolves. Cool. Rafe's parents are not great at first, especially his mom. Um, but that is one of the things I did like about this book is her relationship with Rafe's parents. And mm -hmm. I thought it was cool that this isn't a romance novel. They don't. I mean, we're spoiling everything. He leaves her. Yeah. He leaves her and their children because he can't take being, you know, a poor farmer during the Dust Bowl. And apparently this happened a lot. 
I mean, I believe it. Because this this is a historical fiction. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so lots of fathers that couldn't provide, you know, for their families left. And he, he was one of them. And he had always wanted to leave, but got stuck there because he had to get married to her because she was pregnant. Yeah, like he yeah, was yeah. going to go to college. He was about to leave for college, like, the next week. And then it was like, no, you're going to stay here and get married to this woman who you barely know and probably don't even like that much. Yeah. So, so rom- it makes sense that he left. Yeah. So I did like that romantic love and relationships were not what was good in her life but she did out of that marriage become very close to his mother and father she did find a family out of that marriage and the way that the relationship i really think this book is more interesting in the female relationships Mm -hmm. that it portrays um the one with elsa and her mother-in-law rose because rose you know is an italian immigrant so she teaches i loved like her teaching elsa how to make all these italian dishes Mm -hmm. and you know elsa had been from a very well-to-do family so didn't know how to clean and cook which was obviously frustrating for her mother-in-law at first (laughs) but she was game she was game to learn and she did and they have a really sweet relationship that develops i think over the course of the novel and i will say even though it was frustrating to watch Rafe and Elsa's relationship break down. I really enjoyed Hannah's writing and the way she let us get into Elsa's head. And it made sense why she was not communicating with her husband. Yeah. Like, I think if it would have been from, like, an outsider's perspective, you just would have wanted to shake this woman and be like, talk to your husband! But she did a really good job of giving you all the inner dialogue uh, inner monologue, I guess, that Elsa was going through that made it, made you understand yeah, why she was not talking to her husband. So she did a really good job with character development. I think I Elsa was a very well-fleshed out character yes. and you you very much understood her motivations. Yes. I don't feel like, for me, there was not anything where I was like, where did that come from? I don't understand her motivation for no. that or why she would feel that way. Yeah, she was a big, she was like a bullet point on my prose list all, yeah. by, all by herself. I really enjoyed Elsa's voice. Um, and most of the book is told from Elsa's voice. Yeah. Until you get to the baby that is born, which mm-hmm. becomes her daughter, Loretta. Ugh. <laughs> I wish I could make a sound of my eye rolling. <laughs> it makes um, me excited to have a teenage well, daughter. Look, like, when you first... There's some time jumps in the novel. So, like, she's born... And then you jump and she's like 12. And I know she's 12, but oh my goodness, I cannot stand her. <laughs> like, ugh. I couldn't, I don't know. How did you feel around Loretta? Uh, really heartbroken. Oh, really? Like, uh, eventually, yes. But. I mean, yeah, she bothered me from the very beginning. Ugh. I. It's been a long time since I read this book, but for me it was like, your mother is the one who cares about you. Your mother is the one who insisted on making really difficult choices to bring you into this world because she wanted to have someone to love and someone to love her and she wanted to create a family. But you like your dad because he's fun. Yes. And you think your mom is whatever. And I have a daughter who's a daddy's girl. And, <laughs> oh, that's true. And that's I was true. just kind of like, you were nine pounds at birth. Like, yeah. love me back. Yeah, it was so... Ugh. I hate, every time I got to a Lorena chapter, I was just like, oh, It no. was really tough to listen to her talk about her mom and then go back to Elsa's head and just be like, Elsa just wants to love you so much. And being a mom and being like, I'm just trying to love you. Will you let me? But I like my dad because he's cool. Well, and not only that, like, Lorena is just mean. Oh, yeah. She's she, straight up mean. She's mean to her mom. And, again, I think... Hannah does a really good job of writing inner do- inner monologues for her characters because Loretta is doing that thing where she's going through her head. And I almost feel like I can remember doing this as a kid where, like, you know what you're saying is going to be hurtful, but you can't stop yourself from saying it because, <laughs> because you can't deal with your emotions because you're just so angry and frustrated and sad. And so it just comes out even though you know it's going to hurt this person. Yeah. And that's a lot of what Loretta's doing to her mom. I mean, there are some moments where she... Like, she tells her mom that it's her fault her dad left because she's unlovable. And knowing what I know about... About how how she feels about herself. Oh, I just wanted to throttle that child. I I know. Which she doesn't know. Like, Elsa doesn't tell her anything about her family growing up. Loretta gutted me. But I was like, do not do that to Elsa. I know. (laughs) And I think by that point, I was so invested in Elsa as a character that I I just could not... Oh, yeah. With this I definitely girl. felt that way about Loretta. I mean, yes, her dad abandoned her. That is sad. And she is living through the dust bowl. <laughs> I, 
I get how a teenager living through the Dust Bowl with a, abandonment issues might have some emotions oh. she doesn't know how to deal with, but still, oh man, it was it was nuts. Um, and Rafe leaving. I saw that a mile away. Sure. I, did you? Was that a thing? I don't remember, but I I feel like I did. I don't know that it was supposed to be like a twist or a surprise. No, I mean. But I, I but uh, okay. I actually thought he was going to kill himself. I think I thought that too. I didn't think he was going to leave. I thought he was going to commit suicide. I think I thought that too. And the way he like, the night before, the way he talks to Elsa and basically you, you can pick up as the reader. He's saying goodbye to you, yeah. girl, but she can't. I, I thought he was going to commit suicide, too. So that was like, I didn't know how to feel when I found out he abandoned her. I'm like, okay, is that better than suicide? I don't know. No, there's still like the chance he went off and lived a happy life, which I don't want for him. I know, which, okay, again, another thing. This is a punishing book. You think maybe they'll find him at the end. Nope, they don't. He's gone <laughs> forever, forever. When he leaves, he's gone. <laughs> um, He's just... <sighs> He, I mean, he was sad in his own way, and I get why he did what he did, but I'm with Rose, his mother, mm -hmm. who was like, he's a selfish coward, forget him. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. I mean, same. And that's what she tells Elsa, like, nope, just forget him, lady. Like, I did feel bad for him, you know, he had an opportunity to go to college because of a very short-lived decision when yes. you're young, now you're quote-unquote trapped. I understand feeling like that but um women who get pregnant are always yeah trapped. They don't have that option. and i understand rose being like really life's tough for you do you feel like it's tough to have to do oh, things yeah. you don't want to do <laughs> i'm an immigrant living in a place that hates me and i'm a woman who bore children uh, is it tough for you oh yeah and also he has two children at this point he has Lorena, yeah. and then they have a younger son anthony they call him aunt which is so cute <laughs> um he's he's really adorable but um yeah like leaving your kids like i i could get it up to a point but that was where i was like you're just leaving your kids to starve yeah cool yeah cool on you dude and knowing how much loretta admired him too oh i know and like and he's the one that like filled her head with all these dreams of going away someday to like hollywood and then he just yanks the rug out from under her mean Ugh. so he was awful and this is the point where i started writing in my notes in all caps <laughs> so it's just like this book is too real life sad for me <laughs> that's what i put and i don't know if you know this about me you don't i'm sure just like you didn't know, I don't enjoy space books. Mm -hmm. I also actively avoid Dust Bowl books, usually. That's so specific. I had a bad experience with The Grapes of Wrath <laughs> when I was in middle school. And I was like, and we also had to read this book out of the dust. And it was just. I never would have guessed that in a so, million years. Like, Dust Bowl books, I'm like, if I see Dust Bowl in a summary, I'm like, not for me. <laughs> and see, I was like, I've never read a Dust Bowl nope. book. This is interesting. I didn't know that you specifically had a problem nope. with Dust Bowl. I like Steinbeck. I did not enjoy Grapes of Wrath, but to be fair, I have not revisited it since I have turned at least, I think, 15, so <laughs> I should probably do that. But, uh, yeah, so I've always actively avoided I'm going to find you a space dust bowl. <laughs> uh, no, dust I, bowl on Mars. I do like space westerns. I'm a big fan of Firefly, um, but... Wow, that's a, a really close, almost space dust bowl, but not I quite. Know. Now, I, you know... And I also, I think it's kind of branched out to also books set in, like, the Great Plains during a certain time period I also avoid. Like, unless you're Willa Cather, I don't want to read about the Great Plains and your experiences. <laughs> um, so we keep saying it's the Dust Bowl, but it doesn't start out in the Dust Bowl. Sure. Like, you see what leads up the to The Dust it. Bowl arrives in the midst of and the book. And man, the dust. It arrives. <laughs> I know that sounds, like, really self-evident. But no, that's part of what I loved about it. it I was, was like, so descriptive. describing how it would be to actually live like this. I mean, in, in my mind before reading this, I would think like, yeah, when you go outside, it's dusty. No, no. no. <laughs> like, I knew crops failed. People were poor and didn't have food. But I didn't consider the fact that there were debilitating dust storms that made people ill, like physically ill and die. And, like, ev you had to cover everything because there would always be dust on Ugh. every single thing. And all of the different rituals you have to go to to, like, prepare your home for not getting dusty. And then 
get it undusty once it gets dusty and what you have to do with your food to keep the dust out of it. It was nuts. Yeah. It was nuts. Uh, Also very punishing, but I appreciated her prose and her description of it because I felt it. I was like, man. In a way that you have never thought about. I would just think like, oh, don't go walking outside. It's dusty. I had not thought about like the the gritty feeling that you have in your mouth all the time. Yeah, and she like, describes that. Yeah, oh. and like the and the blackness coming out of your, your nose. nose. Oh yeah, the nose. And yeah. how your bed sheets are gritty. Ugh. And no matter how often you and how do you things, even wash the sheets? It's like you don't it, <laughs> like because you have to hang them outside to dry, and then it's like, well, cool. Yeah, <laughs> like everything is just constantly dusty. And yeah, I had never thought of it in that way and then there her uh, so rafe is gone aunt gets sick which that really was dust pneumonia yeah and that was hard for me because i have two little boys and she's watching her little boy get sick and i'm just like no 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 and i get it was a plot device because that is what made her leave and go to california because he's literally gonna die if they stay there so i get the plot device but it was really heart-wrenching and hard for me to read but i am glad he didn't die Yes. That's one little glimmer I got. The little boy he didn't does die. does not die. Cool. Um, but she had to leave Tony and Rose. Yeah, like the only family she's ever had. And I, li- I literally wrote in my notes in all caps, boo-hoo. Because <laughs> I was just very sad. And then I just continued writing in all caps because once they go to California, like, that half of the book... Ooh, it's brutal. It was even worse, like, than the first half. I, mm-hmm. It was just... I wrote in all and caps. And it's almost worse because they had hope. Yeah, <laughs> and then it, it, it all's like... Again, let's just pull the rug out from under you again. Because uh, human evil, human <laughs> prejudice, it's all there. <laughs> they they just meet a, a random guy on the road who tries to, like, steal from them. And Loretta, who's, I think, I don't know, 15 at that yeah, time? Yeah, 15, 16. Like, literally points a gun at him and is like, I will kill you, sucker. Get away. <laughs> and I believe she would have done it. Uh, yeah. And that is never revisited. Like, that is a tra- that was a traumatic moment. And I was reading that, like... Oh my goodness, you held this man at gunpoint. It's their first night on the road, and then never never gets brought up. That's just, you know, an average Tuesday. I was like, oh. And I did not know that Okies was yeah. a thing. So when they go, all these, you know, people who left for the Dust Bowl and went to California, of course, flooded their economy and there wasn't proper housing for them. And so they started getting called Okies and they were considered dirty and and trashy. And the way they are treated, and I didn't know oh. that was a term. That was like derogatorily. Yeah, like I mean, that. I grew up in Texas. I've heard the term "okies." It, I, it didn't I never, mean anything to I, me. I grew up in Indiana, so I, I don't know anything. Um, apparently, about this period in history. So the book did teach me that, but man, it was just—it was awful, awful the way they're treated. I mean, she does not hold anything back. It's—it's it's really, really brutal, um, and it's really sad. <sighs> so that's just. The the only good part in that second half of the book for me was, again, another female relationship that Elsa makes. Yeah. I really appreciated that about the book. Um, she makes a friend, another mother in the migrant camp, Jean, who's got many children, and she kind of shows her the ropes of how to live there, and they strike up a friendship. And there's some really lovely moments between them and some of the other women in the camp. Yeah. And some of the conversations that they have about poverty. It was really, it was really lovely. So yeah. that's, I think, the if I'm going to say a pro... Character development was good. The writing was good. I liked Elsa's character. And then the the theme of female friendship, like, really getting you through. Yeah. Because um, her friendship, Elsa's friendship with her mother-in-law and then her friendship with Jean are what really get her through. But, you know, she has to leave Rose. Mm-hmm. And, by the way, never sees her again. And guess what happens to Jean? Just guess. <laughs> Does she die? She dies. <laughs> she dies. <laughs> it's like, cool. Great. All right. <laughs> Um, She's like Meredith Grey. Yeah! Elsa is Meredith Grey. Except without, like, you know, any modern privileges. (laughs) Except without running water. Or or money. Yeah, like, or even good sex. (laughs) Like, there's none of that. It's awful. Um, It's just, that's the con for me, too. I don't feel like I split those up, really, this time. But just kind of going through the book. And it's just so punishing, and the ending to me spiraled a little out of control. Okay. Okay. Um, so she meets this man Jack, who becomes this love interest to her, and they do share a night together, which I, 
I don't understand why authors have, feel like they need to do that. Like, we have to give them one good night of sex before they die. <laughs> I, it was weird. Um, and also, like, the circumstances in which it happened was kind of weird. Like, her kids literally didn't know if she was alive or dead because they all had to disperse <laughs> after that. Like, the cops broke up a meeting and then, like, she goes back to a hotel and's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. Uh, I mean, it was... You only live once. <laughs> yeah, YOLO. Um, so that was just, like, kind of weird. And then the communist angle was weird to me. Yeah. Because Jack is a part of the Communist Party, which obviously is, you know, seen as a bad thing by a lot of people. That's why the cops yeah. came to break them up. And it felt weird because communism is, like, very controversial. And, like, there, you know, were people that work just like anything i think people that tried to work with it for good but then also people that did really horrible things in the name of communism and to make that be like the shining thing that's like this will get you out of these awful farms and i was like you didn't have to pick communism to do that like it wasn't it it created an either or fallacy for me i guess that's like this is a more complex issue I didn't feel like... I think it became a more complex issue later, though, right? I just did I felt like it was very I'm black thinking, and like, white. Red Scare, whatever. Like, that happened later in American history, and I think... I mean, it's a historical novel. Yeah. I would assume that she picked communism because that's the real movement that was happening in that area to try and help migrant workers. And at that time, it didn't yet have that, like... Maybe I don't know a lot about that time period in history. I just know I saw a lot of I'm speculating. Re- yeah, and and you may be right. I don't know um, what it was like in the 30s versus yeah. the 60s, but I saw a lot of one and two star reviews of people that were like, "I have real issues with her making communism the hero of this book because my family's from this country and this is yeah. what has happened to them in the name of communism." And that did seem weird to me. I was like, "Why pick that?" Like, yeah, I'm sure there were other movements that were trying to help the migrant workers. Right. So to set them up as this like knight in shining armor coming in, I don't know if she just did it for plot reasons because that also created another hey another part of oppression that Elsa's gonna go through. She yeah. is now persecuted for her political beliefs, <laughs> um, which is ultimately why she dies yeah. and gets shot because she stands up at this uh, worker strike and that is what happens to her. So it's just weird. Like, it just kind of all spiraled out of control. Yeah, me. I can agree that she could have called it something other than communism, which, like, people s- still would have been trying to shut down any kind of migrant worker uprising. Right. I mean, they could have just... Call it what you want, but it would have been like, no, get back to work. Yeah, it didn't feel like it needed to be communism, I guess, sure. for the plot device to work. Yeah. Um, That's fair enough. So it was strange. And then, you know, Loretta, I mean, she's pretty insufferable for me till the end. It takes her mom dying for her to appreciate her. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad she did get that final conversation with her mom and did appreciate her. But it's like, as a mother, I would like to think I don't have to die <laughs> for my children to appreciate <laughs> right. me. A little too little too late. Um. So I, I guess by the end, and like there's this, you know die you know she gets a scene in the hospital where she's dying she doesn't immediately die of her gunshot wounds she gets to say things to her daughter and her son and to jack this man she has known for five seconds but (laughs) helped her be sexually awakened um (laughs) also find her voice it wasn't just about she meets a guy that she finally has good sex although yes jack is a part of that but i would also credit her daughter for that too yeah i mean her daughter's the whole reason she she met Jack in the first place. Yeah, that's true. And I would personally like to credit her daughter for helping her find her voice more than Jack. Because you had that, like, theme of female friendship yeah. going throughout. Um, you saw her, you know, with Rose and then Jean. And then, ultimately, I think Loretta helps yeah. her, like, pass that last hurdle. But I just, by the end, I felt emotionally manipulated. I'm like, <laughs> you've taken me on this whole journey. You've taken everything from me. And then you just, she dies. In the hospital. It was sad. Yeah. Uh, My final note that I wrote was, I don't like the trope of, I just found my voice, happiness, love, whatever, and then I die. (laughs) Because I do feel like that's a bit of a trope. Sure. Yeah. I'm going to go through all this. I'm going to find the thing and then a kaput. Yeah. Yeah. That does happen a lot in... uh... Stories of all kinds in movies and books. Yeah, so I've talked... Oh, I've talked for too long about this book, so... No, that's this fine. This your turn. I thought you'd hate it because it was sad, yeah, so... you called it. Yeah. You called this one. Yeah. Um, what I liked about it, as we've already talked about 
Elsa's character, mm-hmm. I thought she had a great arc. She starts off so fragile, and the way she's even physically described is almost like she's translucent. Like she's yes, she's pale and sickly. She has too fine hair. She's wispy. Like you can look right through her. A light breeze would knock her over. She's also really tall. Yeah, which is a tall negative. and willowy. Yeah, and then I feel. Like, when she moves in with her in-laws, she has to become this really hard, yes, you know, dust, labor, muscles you've never used before, calluses on your hands, and she becomes, like, almost stony. Yes, that's and then, why Lorena doesn't like her. And then at the very end, she's a person. Mm-hmm. Like, she goes through this really beautiful transformation of too fragile because of life circumstances too hard because of life circumstances and then finally becoming like flesh and blood yeah before she dies yep <laughs> so she can spill that blood so she can spill that blood um <laughs> i thought the beginning of her story was we've talked about this before on the podcast the importance of the stories you're told about herself oh yes she's told that she has this heart condition so like you can never run and play you can never get excited you can never you know, right. bear children. You can never do this. You're very tall and ugly, so no one will ever love you. She's just told all these stories. That she's going to be a spinster. That yeah. She, yeah. I mean, early on, her life is just decided by people who have just determined this is what your story is. And she believes it for a long time. But, like, right when the book opens, she's starting to go, is this story about me true? And could I find something else? And so... Again, we're visiting the theme of the stories that we're told about ourselves are yes. important. Yes. Um, I think the theme of the resilience of mothers is very oh, yeah. prominent throughout this book. For um, sure. Elsa For sure. is not the only mother that we see. Rose and uh, Jean as well are just, what will a mother do for mm. her kids? Um, when Elsa finds out that she's pregnant, mm-hmm. her family drops her off at Rafe's house and is like, you better make this right, but either way, we kind of don't care. We're going to pull away before we even know if you, like, yeah. are getting married We're going to moonwalk on out. Yeah. Um, but hopefully you do what's right, Rafe. Um, and the mother-in-law is like, absolutely not. I don't want you to ruin your life with this. And he was engaged, too. Yeah, he was engaged mm-hmm. to another woman. Mm-hmm. They have some conversations, and Rose is like, fine, you can stay. And Elsa's like... I'm only staying if you promise that you are going to love this child because I know what it's like to grow up in a house where love is withheld. And I will not stay here where I have shelter and food and a bed and a family and a husband if you're not going to love my baby because it's a quote-unquote bastard. She was going to walk out that house. Yes. And I was like, girl, that's what moms do. That was a cool scene. And she was like, I don't even care if you never like me, but you're not going to mistreat this child because I grew up in a house like that, and I know what that does. Right. And every decision she makes from then on is just for that brat of a girl that we meet later. I know. That brat of a girl. Ugh. But her son's really cute. But she does have a very <laughs> cute son. Uh, so much historical fiction is World War II historical fiction. I yeah. mean, I feel like you've read more, like... Renaissance. Or, like, American classic. Like, you've read Grapes of Wrath. I haven't. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. But, like, go to the bookstore now historical fiction it's all world war ii and it's all the picture of a woman the back of a woman in like usually a knee-length coat of some kind and there's yes we talked about this yeah i i really need to find the tiktok that just like puts them all together it's really funny oh i want to watch that so i was very excited to have historical fiction that was not world war ii and um kristen hannah has written a world war ii a historical fiction called The Nightingale. It's about a woman oh. in the French Resistance. I started that years ago. Yeah. So I've read that one. And in an interview with um, No Apology Book Review, she was asked about her writing The Nightingale. Mm-hmm. And then she said, I wanted to show female courage, heroism, and bravery in the face of difficult and dangerous odds. As time went on, I knew I wanted to write a novel that was just as powerful, emotional, and as important, but that was an American story. I wanted to look at our own history in our own country. Mm. For whatever reason, it led me to the Dust Bowl, the Great Depression, and the migration to the West. Women throughout history have done a lot of amazing stuff. 
So True I that. liked that her departure from World War II historical fiction, she looked at what story could she tell about women um, that happened mm-hmm. on our soil. And she was asked about, like, the Grapes of Wrath, because it does have similarities. Oh, right. Just yeah. of time and place, if yes. nothing else. Yes, um, And she said that it didn't necessarily, like, she didn't pull from that book, but she says, I like telling stories that we think we know and eras we think we know, but from a female outlook. Mm. So often what is learned about in history is from the male perspective with women's stories lost, marginalized, and deemed less important. Right. So that's true. Like, we have heard a Dust Bowl story before, right. but it was not a privileging a woman's voice. Sure. And this story, as you mentioned, is not just about Elsa. It's about her female relationships more than anything. She yes. has some romantic ties to some people, but those are not the thing that, like, no. make her life her life. And so I really like Kristen Hanna's choice to, you think you know about this part of history, but you've probably heard about how, you know men jumped out of buildings because the stock market crashed and men left their families because they couldn't provide and men were out, you know, working the farms and it... But where are the women? What were they doing? Yeah. And housework and children bearing, fine. But we just read a description about how housework and childbearing were very, very, very difficult during the Dust Bowl times. That was a... I mean... Yes. Well... What a job. Yeah, you get all the housework with... Elsa at the dust, but mm-hmm. then when her friend Jean dies, yeah, that was heartbreaking because she literally dies in childbirth. So you've got that danger that only women face. But then also she tried to take her to a hospital and they denied her service because she was an Oki. Yeah, and so you've got the human prejudice side that both led to this woman's death, and it, oh, it's so sad. Yeah, but yeah, um, I'm sure that happened. Oh yeah, certainly. A big theme throughout the book is uh, the plight of the other. Mm, um, mm-hmm. It highlights the crime of inhumanity to one's fellow citizen. City folk misunderstand country folk. Oh, yeah. That's very obvious at the beginning of the book. Elsa's from a, a rich people family, and she does rich people things. And the farmers are over there, and people don't look at what the farmers are doing. Um, white people versus everybody else, including oh, Italians, which, right. you know, like... I think today would count as quote unquote white people, but I guess in the 1930s, you're an immigrant. And yes, because there's the one time Elsa goes back to see her parents. Mm-hmm. It's when she gives birth to her daughter, and, she, and they're like, "Your baby is brown." Yeah, I said good day. Like she says, "Look at how dark her skin is. Don't bring this child here again." Yeah. that's her. That's Elsa's last interaction with her own mother. Yeah, and Ooh. I have a mixed race child, and I'm married Ugh. to a mixed race child, and that was yeah. Locals mistreating. The migrant workers, yes. the Okies. So it this constant theme of there's an other and we hate them, which, yes, it's it's punishing the way this book keeps being, like, hitting you with it. Yes. But, like, that is the world. No yeah. matter what situation we find ourselves in, we always seem to find out who the other is and say that we hate them. Mm-hmm. It's a very human thing. Mm-hmm. Um employers against workers the way that the employers manipulate workers once they get to california that like i feel like that opened my eyes so much of how like the cyclical nature of poverty like yes it is not that hard to end up poor but it is really hard to get unpoor once you're poor yes like talking about this is how much work she had to do, and this is how much money she was given for that work, and this is how much money a cup of flour costs. And now that money is gone, and she has to spread that cup of flour between this many people, and I was just like, the math on this does not work. Like, no. you can never not be poor once you're in this circumstance. And I, it just, I mean, I like to think that I'm not like this in general of blaming poverty on a person's life choices or being critical of people who are poor simply because they're poor. But I, I did grow up in America, (laughs) like white middle-class America. So I have definitely been told this story about criminalizing poverty essentially. And just to like, have it just laid out that cleanly of like, do the math. How would you make it work? Pretend this was you. How would you become unpoor in this situation? 
The answer is I wouldn't. I would not. And I would not handle it that well either. No. Well, <laughs> and there's not only the poverty that comes from scarcity, what you're describing, but because Elsa starts out in the migrant camp, which is obvious. It's disgusting. It's yeah, not they live in like a trench. <clears throat> yeah, it's really gross. And she gets the opportunity to go live in one of the cabins on the like cotton yes. plantation. And that's where it gets even worse to me because while she gets this better living situation, she has to get her food from the company store yeah. on credit. And of course, all the prices there are inflated. And so all of her wages go to paying off her credit debt. And it and is. And you can't leave until you don't have a debt. Right. So... And it just made me think of all those little, like, payday advance yes. places. I mean, yes. I could probably drive for 30 minutes from where we are now and pass five of them. Oh, yeah. And I. It's criminal. I have read, like, I've read JD Vance's. Hillbilly Elegy, I know those have a place for some people, but also every time I see one, it just makes me a little sad because it's just perpetuating that cycle, the same cycle that she lays out in very basic terms in this novel. Um, Yeah, and the thing is, you have children. Are you going to choose living in, like, a, a trench... Yes. Where <laughs> you just like people's feces are floating by you yep. while you're trying to make food. Or would you have a bed and a roof? And I mean, most people would choose the bed and the roof, but then that puts you in this situation. And yeah, just reading it, I was like, what the heck are you supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And pretty much you have to count on the kindness of others. Someone has to help you. Mm-hmm. And until you find someone who is just going to decide... I'm going to help you, mm-hmm. which most people don't. No, for most just the communists. Yeah, most this story. most people do not end up finding a good Samaritan kind benefactor mm-hmm. who helps them up out of the dirt. So most people just end up staying there. And I was like, golly, that's why I I don't like being. I'm not a super politically active person. It just stresses me out, much like this book did. <laughs> um, but, you know, what you said, just that's what I try to do. It's like, I'm just going to be the kind person for someone. Yeah. And, like, try to, I don't always know what's going on in, like, big, you know, places where the politicians meet at the state or federal level. But, like, okay, if I can just be something good in my sphere of influence for my students that I see or my friends that I or the people in my community, like, I just try to focus on that because it overwhelms me. Yeah. (laughs) Which this book makes clear how both of those things are important. Yes. Like, if somebody had driven up and said, here's a huge sack of potatoes and here's a huge whatever and here's a job for the day, if an individual had been kind, that would have changed her life. Also, the system she was living under was entirely broken and it took revolutionaries, which in this book ended up being communists. But I'll just say, like... People who are working for social justice. It also takes people protesting and striking. And, yeah, they have a strike in this. And so it's, again, the people who are willing to strike versus the people who aren't willing to strike. Which is a difficult choice. Yeah, some people are like, I need the 10 cents. I know it's not enough, but, like... I have to have the 10 right. cents. I can't strike. But then right. if if people break the strike, then the strike doesn't work. And so people are like, don't take the 10 cents. Oh, was, so, it was so stressful. It was so cyclical. And I was just like, how... Once this situation has started, how does it end? And it just made me very aware of the yes. brokenness of the system. Yes. This book came out in the in January of 2021, I think. So we had just been through a year of people losing work, Ugh. losing wages, losing jobs, yeah. losing family members, right. losing homes, rent. I, it was a very weird place in our history yes. to then read this book about, and Elsa talks about how she just feels like time has been lost. Like so much of her time of life was just kind of like ripped out from under her and these essential workers being treated as non-essential mm-hmm. in the beginning of the book. It's everyone hates the farmers. Where do you think your food comes from? Right. You're eating the food. And like the fact that, the people who give everyone else the food often have a hard time eating themselves. Right. And how ironic that is that during that year of 2020, we relied on the McDonald's people, like, so heavily because, I mean, we ate out more than ever before, and there was this huge push, like, they're essential workers, but also we're not going to pay them enough to eat, but they're providing us with all of our food. 
And this I- a lot of Walmart pickup orders. Yeah. And so this idea of like people doing the most menial tasks are making everybody else's life worth it and good. Yeah. And yet they're not being paid, you know, time lost, money uh, lost. This but I think this is why it depresses me. It's too real life. I know. I just, uh. And then just the promise of the American dream. Oh yeah. You know, if you, That's another rug right yeah, out from under you. <laughs> yeah. If you do this, then you will receive the American dream. All you have to do is make the correct choices and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you will receive this golden plaque that says, congratulations, American dreamer. Or you will get shot. Or <laughs> or you will end up in a cycle of poverty. And, I mean, our entire nation's history is manifest destiny, moving west. Oh, yeah. Go- like, in this book, it's not about gold. It's not about taking land because it's already been taken. Um, it's about jobs. Yeah, it's about jobs. And but, resources. But so much of our, you know, national history is moving west because yep. that's where it all is, only to arrive west and realize that the gold is all gone and yep. the land is all gone and yep. the jobs are all gone. And, yeah. <sighs> I enjoy, I mean, it's tough to say you enjoyed this well, book, but, like, I kept reading it. I read it so fast because I had to know how it would resolve. I had to yeah. be like, how is she going to get out of this marriage situation? How is she going to get out of this situation with her daughter? How is she going to get out of this new thing, this new thing, this new thing? And the answer was, she's not. And so you just have to read the whole book. <laughs> yeah, I. that's interesting that you read it fast. I guess I did, but I read it in chunks because I had to take breaks. Yeah. Like, I had to stop. I think I stopped for a full week when I was somewhere in the middle. I was just like, I got to step away. Yeah. This is too sad. I but kept just being did, like, it has to get better, so I have to keep reading. Yeah. And so I just kept diving back in and reading but more. But it did, it. it was a quick read. Like, mm-hmm. it was not hard to read, and, and it was, yeah, enjoy, like, the prose was good. Yeah. I love a book that teaches me something I didn't know. Yes. I grew up in Texas, and I mm. did not know, I mean, I knew the Dust Bowl happened. Right. But I didn't know about it in this descriptive way of, like, what day-to-day life was and how many people left and what happened. I just knew, like, the Dust Bowl occurred. Right. And Kyle's family lives in California, and his grandmother moved from Texas in the 1930s. And I was like, wait, Kyle, do you think your grandmother and her family came here? And he was like, yeah, probably. And just to put my, my own personal history in the context of this additional history that I just didn't know, even though I grew up, you know, right where this book takes place, essentially. Yes. Um, so I, I just liked learning about this time and place, diving deeper into the social issues that it brings up. Mm-hmm. It is punishingly sad. Yeah. But I felt like the reward of what I gained from it was worth it. You like that trade-off a lot less than I do. I do. I like my... I like to escape with my books and my yeah. movies. Like, I will, I, and I like reading history. I would gladly read a historical textbook yeah. <laughs> about this time. Yeah. Um, but there is definitely a value in presenting the information in this way, in this yeah. narrative form, um, to reach different readers. Right. It's just not for everybody. Yeah. And I knew it wouldn't be for you. I also had no idea going into it what it was. Yeah. Like, and when it starts, you've got this rich, well-to-do, neglected girl. And yeah. I did not know it was going to take the turn that it did so quickly. <laughs> I I was, like, settling in for, okay, she's going to be in this, you know, house. False. And no. <laughs> so I had no expectations. Maybe if I had of, that might have softened it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I just really loved it. This book has stuck with me. I talked about it to everybody after I finished mm-hmm. it, and it's been... Like I said, I read it in January of 2021, so it's been several years now, and it's just really stuck with me. Yes. I think lots of our listeners would really, really love this book. If you're like Hannah, you will really, really hate this book. Or you will, I mean, or you will need to be in the right space for it. I understand that it is not everybody's jam. I mean, just different kinds of movies, too. Like, sure, it can be good, but that doesn't mean I want to watch it. Exactly. This was completely a matter of taste. I think yeah. objectively it was a it was a good well-written book. Yeah. Um, and well-developed. 
Well, let's talk about Kristen Hanna because she's a great author. She's pretty prolific. Yeah. I don't know anything about her. Um, so she lives in the Pacific Northwest, and a lot of her novels are set oh. there. She has several novels in, like, Oregon, Washington. I would like to go to there. Yeah, me too. Huh. Um, she's an award-winning, best-selling author of more than 20 novels, and I've read lots of them and loved all of them. Really? Okay. So I mentioned that I've read The Nightingale, which yes. is about a French resistance fighter during World War II, The Great Alone, which is a story about, um, I think they moved from California, but they move up to Alaska to be homesteaders and all oh. of the really difficult things that come with this kind of another story about like the land and nature working against you. Yes. Um, it is not nearly as punishing as this yeah. okay. <laughs> um, Magic Hour, very beautiful setting. And I thought the mm. prose on that one was beautiful. The most recent one I read was The Winter Garden, which is a story about mothers and daughters. Oh. Um, and Firefly Lane might be the one that you've actually heard of because it's now a series on Netflix. Right. The series is unwatchable. Oh, okay. I could not. That's fine. But the book is really good. I mean, good for you, Kristen Hanna. Get some money from that. But... Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but um, Netflix did us all a disservice yeah, with well. that. Uh, but she's... A wonderful writer. All of her stories are very female-centric. They do all make you feel a thing. Um, but they're all very character-driven and yet not tedious. Right. You know, no, like the way that this tedious. was... It was not. Yeah. So I really love her. I have yet to read one by her that I, you know, don't like. I would so... read another book by her on your recommendation if you told me it wasn't quite as punishing as this one. <laughs> I think you would like The Great Alone. Okay. Or I was in the right headspace for it. Yeah. Like, the right time. The Great Alone is sad, but it is much more redeeming. Okay. She doesn't just die at the end. It, it can't just be a full downward no. slope. Like, I need some hills and there valleys. There are hills and valleys. <laughs> yeah. That's she fine. has happiness in her life. That's fine. Okay. And the end does not end okay. in complete and utter destruction. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I think lots of people would find that they like Kristen Hanna's writing. I don't know a whole lot of people who've also read her, so... Really? Yeah. She strikes a good balance between being very readable, but then also very elegant, I think, yeah. with her prose. Yeah. Um, so that's nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, no. that's what I had. Well, not everybody liked her. <laughs> did um, you do your job and prepare one-star reviews? As I, did. I did. not last week. And we've had a run of some pretty lame ones. Yeah. Not today. Drop it on me. Oh, boy. I have five rather short ones. Okay. Um, but they're all funny in different ways. This first one is from Mr. Boris Feldman. Boris? What a name. Yes. I hereby create TDI, the Disappointment Index, <laughs> a scale by which the modern reader compares a prior novel by the author, which he loved, to the latest work of the author, which he could not finish. Scale runs from zero to ten. Zero means no disappointment at all. Ten means feh. <laughs> I guess, yeah. The four wins scores a ten. I quit 22% of the way in. Shallow characters, the most substantive player in the novel, <laughs> was the dust. <laughs> Which I do not agree about the shallow characters, but... The dust also was... It was. It was. Um, <laughs> this next one from Jane Drake. Please do pay attention to the punctuation. Okay. If you enjoy human misery, then you may enjoy this book. It started on page one with misery and went on for the next 450 pages with more misery. For me, it was a great relief when I reached the end. I have read most of her other books, but probably will not read another one. I enjoy happy books, but this one was a real downer. <laughs> every single sentence. Every exclamation point. <laughs> every sentence ended in an exclamation point, which... Just cracked me up. Yeah, a commercial. If you enjoy human misery, you may love this book. There you go. Abby, I joined Book of the Month in 2020 as a way to escape divisive politics. <laughs> <laughs> this book is a brochure on communism. I offered it to my puppy as a chew toy, but he sniffed it like he was Joe Biden and then took a book. And the book was a child. I don't know what that is in reference to. He sniffed it like he was Joe Biden and the book was a child. I'm not aware that President Biden is known for hating children. I know that but... Joe Biden often was very cuddly with 
Sir Barack Obama, and he loves an ice cream cone, but I don't, I don't know about him sniffing children. I, I don't know. But the... Anyway. <laughs> don't understand the metaphor. Okay. Um, if you understand the metaphor, let us know. Mark Jameson did not believe one word of this book, least of all when a 13-year-old read The Communist Manifesto. I call it Fifty Shades of Dust because it is essentially tragedy porn. <laughs> Shades of dust. <laughs> it is a little bit. It, it, I can see how someone would call it tragedy porn. Yeah. I disagree, but I can see how someone would say that. Sure, sure. R.S. Rook. What a I don't intriguing know. name. I don't know. This book is cliched, saccharine trash, written at an eighth grade level, as in it has large sections that feel as if it was written by an eighth grader. Is that the worst thing in the world? No, certainly not. There are many people who enjoy it. Heck, if this were urban fantasy, I probably wouldn't mind the style all that much myself. It's like cotton candy, but I prefer a bit more heft to my historical fiction. I also enjoy historical nonfiction, much of it what a lot of people consider to be quite dry. But I like to think of it as hearty beef stew for my brain. But this light, tropey version of historical fiction, it's like beef stew flavored cotton candy. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> Clearly, Hannah is successful at scratching the itch for a lot of people, but not for me. Chris and Hannah is officially on my DNR list, but for those of you who enjoy it, have fun. Beef stew flavored <laughs> cotton candy. Essentially, I think he's saying the style didn't match the content for him, but... I mean, I don't care what he's saying. I can't stop tasting it. Oh, yeah. I told you I was bringing back the raspberry jam. Here you go. Man, Beef I... stew cotton candy. I... I can't not feel that. Like the <laughs> like a dissolving bouillon cube. <laughs> oh, 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 it would be. Oh, yeah. Thank you for making me read that. Yeah. So I had a lot of fun. I'm uh, so glad. Well, those. the book wasn't fun, so I'm glad you I got mean, to read some reviews that were fun. Yeah, there was. was no humor in the book. <laughs> no, really, like, none at all. I'm racking my brain now. Was there anything funny? I mean, surely there was a little bit of, you know, quippy sarcasm in there somewhere, but mostly no, it was not no, a, I, it was yeah. not funny. So I'm glad that the reviews were funny cuz Yeah, I think the funniest part that I can remember is when Elsa would just like roll her eyes at her daughter and <laughs> be like, "Rada, what do you want me to do?" True. <laughs> but maybe that was only funny to me as a mother. I really Man, it made me scared to have my daughter grow up. I mean, I really hope that we don't end up in any of the situations that this woman ends up in. But my daughter does really love her dad. And I was just like, you brat. Yeah, but you, her mother, you, you are not emotionally distant because you are having to survive as Elsa. Was. No, I so. also have a loving husband yeah. who likes me. And my daughter really does like me, too. She's just a yeah. daddy's girl. And your parents like her. Yes. Also a plus. <laughs> my well, life is really quite different from Elsa's. Really? I did grow up in Texas, but that's pretty much where the that's similarities where stop. Yep. Mm -hmm. My husband is darker. <laughs> that's all. But just not Italian. Not Italian. Uh, okay. Well... We'll lighten it up for next week. Okay, what am I reading? So next week I have assigned Stephanie, I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. This is my version of a romance I'm assigning to you. Oh. So. Okay. It was in the Audible free books. Really? Yeah, I was okay. really glad. So yeah, I already have it in my Audible okay. library. I just have to start listening to it. Well, that's what we'll talk about next week. Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love. And the books we hate. You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a review and a five-star rating. And don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Special thanks to Montague Workshop. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>